0: Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. And so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners. And so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrilled to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but... We'd rather show you, we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales, so get ready, Runetics, and let's roll. It is the autumn, about two years before we start our main tale. The High Energy Magic Studies building has gone out of phase for the winter. And everybody was at the party last night to wish those students and faculty well on their journey. They'll face back in sometime in the spring and we'll find out what they've been up to then. In the meantime, the university now has a much clearer view of the western sky. The reap is hard upon the city and it is starting to cool off the students have returned from their summer sojourns and classes are back in session now it wasn't long into this year before a couple of students as they always do got into magic they shouldn't and unfortunately unlike most years this wasn't just a harmless jake the devil who was summoned Well, she's not doing well. Try as you might, collaborate with whom you might, read all you can. Garnack, nothing's working. She's just fading, it seems. Now, you'd be at work this morning, but your foot's been giving you problems. You took it off last night to tune it up. Mechanically, it's tip-top. It's got to be the bio-interface, and unfortunately, you can't fix that yourself.
1: Alright. I march in, grumbling with every step, uh, heading up to Magrin's office.
2: Magrin's office was a bit of a mess. Up a kind of rickety set of stairs with a bit of a low ceiling to anyone who's not Magrin's height. Uh, It's tucked away in a far corner of campus where she can study and understand things in peace without the constant flow of students around her. Messing with her chakras and the the ley lines of the earth. It's a dusty and musty place full of specimen jars and books, crumpled paper everywhere, uh, layers upon layers of mysterious liquids and fluids that don't really have a name. This is Magrin's lab, of course, not where she typically meets patients.
1: Garnack walks into the lab and looks around, sees a short table and walks over to it, brushes off a, a square about the size of his rump and just sits on the table and says, hi, Max, got a minute.
0: And as you sit, you notice that on the shelf across from you, there is a jar of eyeballs of various descriptions, some with slitted pupils, some with round pupils, some with keyhole pupils. Perfectly preserved in a big apothecary's you They all turn to look at you. Magrin, the security system notifies you that somebody is in the front room.
2: Eh? Oh.
1: Hey, Mags, you got a minute?
2: Oh, um, uh, uh, just a second. Bang, crash, thud from the next room. Um... You hear the sounds of, you know, something screeching. Um, and then she comes through the doorway, uh, wiping her hands on a, a bit of a towel. Yeah. Um, wh- what do you need?
1: Oh, it's the leg. I reach down and start undoing latches and pull some cranks and until the the clasp that holds the leg on top of the stump just lets go with a hiss. I just pull the leg off, sit it down next to me. It's like. Yeah, the, ah, it's driving me nuts. The sorsetic cabling's not working with the conduits, and pretty much it's not communicating how it's supposed to.
2: Hmm, let me get my glasses. And uh, Magrin pulls out her most famous of spectacles um, and puts them on her uh, eyes. They immediately become much larger in her face, almost disturbingly large. Um, she begins to move the lenses as she examines the leg poking and prodding, seemingly uncaring um, if this irritates Garnack or not.
1: I probably feel a little self-conscious because you probably see the mangled, uh, misshapen version of the mark, which would be along the bottom of the stump. And that's not exactly something I like to show off. At this point, you've probably seen it a couple of times. I still don't like it. But yeah, the the foot's working fine. It's sort of the flesh that's failing me here.
2: Hmm. hmm. Clearly, this is a problem with your nerve alignment. Let me go get the acupuncture needles, I'll be right back.
0: Oh, great. This is probably gonna need the heavy needles, Magrin. There's a terrible misalignment in his chakras, and you should probably drive some nails into that thick dwarven hide. You know, just to see if you can't remove some of that congestion.
2: I began shuffling through drawers, pulling seemingly nonsensical objects out of them until I get a, uh, a dark stained wooden box out. Um, it's got, it opens kind of like a picnic basket where it's the two, the two sides, um, and there's gleaming rows of, uh, needles, uh, varying in sizes, you know, some with talismans and charms on the outside. Um, not all of them You know, the same metal, there's definitely some gold ones and some silver ones in there for, you know, different reasons and different applications.
0: The room fills with the scent of fine, rich metals than Garnak, in particular, a clean and piquant scent of mithril. You'd know it anywhere, you can taste it in your back teeth.
1: Hey Max, you you got a, a mithril spike in there?
2: Oh, of course. Some creatures only respond to mithril. Um, It's the only thing that can get through to them. Uh, A highly magical metal, mithril, is. comes from deep within the core of the Earth. Its its properties are actually very interesting.
1: Wow, yeah. Metal from the Earth. Never would have guessed. Hey, uh, Max, where'd you order that from?
2: It was actually a gift from this monk I met. uh, Oh, where was that? It was the place next to the... Oh, that village... Yeah, the,
1: the, the uh, never never mind. Never mind. It's <laughs> alright. Looks good, though. You yeah, have yeah, very nice spikes there. I, I appreciate it.
2: Of course, the doctor's only as good as her tools are. Now, um, this may sting a bit.
1: I yeah, I remember. I just kind of stick my stump out and grit my teeth a bit. With Magrin,
2: Magrin's history with, um mangled slash removed or partially removed marks. I don't think she'll she'll bring it up, but she'll kind of nod to herself and uh, make a note in what I assume she probably has patient records for Garnak um, about it.
0: There's nothing wrong with it at all. It's completely intact. It's just all bunched up. If you could somehow unfold it thonically, you could knock a lot. Of the congestion out of there that's what the problem is he's trying to put this machine interface into a part of his body that's trying to heal a mark right and there's the conflict so if you could move the mark away from the interface you'd have the benefits of both i need you to roll medicine
2: plus six um roll end is up 20.
0: um garnak yes is QUITE exquisitely uncomfortable.
1: Is everything all right
2: down there? Oh yeah, I'm just gonna make sure that there's no more congestion problems.
1: Congestion in my leg.
2: Oh, with your magical energies, of course. You know that they're all bunched up because you're trying to put your um, biomechanical matrix on your mark, right? I'm just gonna fix that for ya.
1: Wait, what are you doing?
2: I, I twist the one needle. I, I'm, I'm fixing it so your mark and your biomechanical matrix aren't fighting each other. It's gonna feel much better. Just just lay back down.
1: i jump back. I mean, I would be pushing up with my hands on the table and just leaping back away from her across the table, probably sending a bunch of stuff flying.
0: Okay, so I need you to make a reflex save with disadvantage. That would be a nine. Crash. Um, right into one of these shelves, which tips over on top of you. Uh, a few minutes later, the camera shows Magrin helping you out from underneath. The uh, pain has subsided. Fuck, that hurt. But now, as you pull it up, you notice that there is an exquisite pattern of lines up your hip. It completely covers the bottom of your leg and uh, goes up the inside of your thigh halfway to your groin.
1: Is it the whole mark or is it part of it? At least the whole mark. The same mark that had been on your foot. What exactly did you just do?
2: Well, you see, marks are genetically connected to our magical energies. So the fact that you had it all scrunched up and we're trying to attach a mechanical leg to it uh, caused it to prevent regeneration in its current form. So by uh, adjusting its positioning and shape, I was able to free your leg to connect to your mechanical one without affecting your mark and its abilities.
0: This whole time, her hands have just been moving over the stump of your leg now that she's walked over towards you and uh, dipping her thumb into a little pot of salve to cover up the minor wounds from the needles. As she wipes the salve off, she wipes the blood away and beneath... The passing of her thumb, there is no mark. While well, there are no marks on your skin, apart from the mark which has returned to full flourish on your right thigh. Is it identical to what it was before? It actually occupies the same amount of space where it used to go up here just below your knee. Now it goes up to just around your hip. Still on your right, on your right leg, though. Seems that uh, you cut the foot off, but not the mark.
2: So Garnack, I'm hoping you're feeling better, and I hope next time the we don't have to depend on the bookcase to pin you down. I hope you just let me do my work, and we'll have a better time of this.
0: Okay? Hey, Finn. Yes. You've been standing there for a few seconds while Garnack's pants are half off, and uh, he and Magrin are talking about marks, and you know he's looking rather sheepish under the wreckage of a bookshelf. And
3: um, ma'am, Master Garnack, is this a bad time? I'm afraid I have some news I can't wait. No, I uh
2: What is it, Finn my boy?
1: I hop over to my leg and start strapping the thing back on, uh, attaching the sorcetic conduits and trying to get everything attached properly.
3: Finn is um standing at the entrance to the lab. He's just arrived and he's wearing sort of plain work trousers and a white shirt with the sleeves rolled up and work gloves which are dirty, uh, maybe a little bit of fur and blood on the, on the fingers of his gloves. Uh, and Finn says, well, I was on my way back from feeding the eagles in their pen, and I couldn't help but notice that uh, the demon's out of her paddock again. Devil. Wait, she's out?
0: I mean, she's not there. Garnack, as you put your leg back on, um, you had fixed the plate in the arch, which was getting loose, right? You just you smashed the rivets in a little bit. As you return your foot to its housing and your leg goes into the cup of the prosthetic with a click and the interface connects, there is a dull throb from that plate, this means that the sensory apparatus is working perfectly.
1: Bags, Good good work, thank you. Uh, so, alright, so I start uh, fine-tuning and adjusting the sensitivity on the leg and
3: just kind of ask me, it's like, alright, so what happened? I was making my way back and my path crossed where the demon has her cage. Devil. Sorry, devil. And Uh, it's empty. I get the sense that there's a bit of a gap in the field that you put up earlier, Garnack. All right. Uh, uh,
1: Let's take a look at the field. We'll have to figure out how to, we'll have to have a stable place to put her when she comes back. She's not doing well. I think this is, it just keeps getting worse right now. It's driving me insane. Does keeping her in make her worse or does her getting out make her worse? Her being stuck in this universe is making it worse. Her aspect convergence isn't aligning. Pretty much her body's rejecting this entire realm. Everything that's different about this realm is causing her damage. It's just bad.
0: Vesper, you don't remember the last time you felt this sick, it is unbearably hot, the stones of this place burn your feet and the air pushes in on you with a cloying, stifling, burning pressure that every footfall you put down hurts. And you have to wonder what it is that you did to deserve this sort of torment. I mean, didn't you serve faithfully? You can't see, Vesper.
4: I... I did everything right, didn't I? I'm... I... I did everything. I did everything I was supposed to.
0: You did it exactly right, too. You've been faithful. Why is Asmodeus testing you like this? You're so sick. You reach out your hand, you're five fingers turn into two and stretch out like a tentacle to open the mechanism a foot before they should. You lurch forward through this portal and down the hall on knees that bend the wrong way and you stumble along and up ahead you can feel it. The pulse down underneath far below but they're all the same you just have to keep going down. There is cold down there proper cold and it won't be long before you find it. He pushed the door open and out of the staircase down a hall. What? Back to the clinic.
3: Well, if she's unwell, she can't have gone far. Why don't we head back to the paddock and I'll take a look around to see if I can pick up her trail? Auntie Mags, if we bring her here, is there anything you can do for her?
2: Um. Without fully knowing what's wrong, I don't know how much help I can be. I've, I haven't i have had a chance to give her a full examination, you know. Uh, she's, she's one of the feistiest creatures I've ever had to deal with. But, I mean, of course I'm going to do my best.
3: Well, an examination is step one, I reckon.
2: That would be a good place to start. All
3: right, uh, we'll start at the enclosure. Let's see what we can figure out. So Finn will take off his gloves, slap them down on the counter, and lead Garnack back to where he passed by earlier. And when they get there, well, Garnack can busy himself with whatever, Finn's going to start looking for a trail. Uh, Adam, what do I see uh, around
1: her enclosure? For uh, How does it look like she got out?
0: Climate control seems to be in order. There's nothing taken off. You didn't install any gaps or vents big enough for her to get out of. The door wasn't unlocked because it only locks from the outside. There's a small gap, but, you know, there has to be. That's unavoidable. The only possible way that you see is to get out under that half-inch crack under the door. Well,
1: she's out of alignment with this whole reality. I mean... it might not take much for her to be able to slip through right now. She she might not be able... You might not have anything that's a standard wall that could actually hold her.
3: Am I picking up any tracks or trails around?
0: You're getting a definite down sensation from here.
3: There's a parallax shift here. I, th- I think if
1: we... I think I can adjust it to keep it stabilized. But that's about the best I can do. We're going to have to figure out something else. And probably have to keep an eye on her until we figure
3: out what's wrong with her Master Garnack which building closest to here has a basement
1: ah uh, the main dormitory it has a basement below the commissary that goes down about I don't know I
3: want to say four or five floors small little thing Finn kind of absently itches at his shoulder I have a feeling that's where she might have head. And he starts jogging lightly across the quad towards the dormitory.
0: We cut to the bottom of the stairwell, where a mass of tentacles rises up out of a pile of feathers on the floor and extends a tentacular limb to open the door. As it surges forward, it coalesces into something vaguely humanoid, about eight feet tall, full of bristles. A bat wing opposite a dove wing, too many eyes, and too many teeth, and both hands sporting awful claws. Six antlers sprout from its head as it blinks its six eyes. Down the hall, junior maintainer Willie Gillerhart sees this monster and stands in complete shock as the thing surges down the hallway, speaking words that make the air shiver and his brain hurt. He drops the lunchbox, cowers as a puddle forms between his shoes. Vesper, no matter how much you ask these people for help, all they do is scream.
4: Vesper just pushes past him and shoves him to the side against the wall.
0: This is an easy thing. You stick your pseudopod ahead of you and shove him aside as though he were nothing. Searching down the corridor, you feel the heat on your skin as you push your way further towards the cold which lies in front of you. Lovely and welcoming. From upstairs, fellas, if these students fleeing the residence screaming are indication... Something wicked that way came quite recently.
3: Finn gives Garnack kind of a meaningful look and takes the stairs two at a time, pauses at the bottom, sort of takes in the smell of, you know, student residence, humid from the summer, cold from being in the basement, but there's something else worms on a rainy day kind of smell and he knows this is it heads down the hallway towards where that guy is cowering
0: and as your glinting golden eyes dispel the darkness you see gearheart fetal on the floor slick with the slime that trails off down the hall
1: Garnak starts hobbling down the stairs as best he can trying to
3: make as little noise as possible I'm coming, I'm coming Finn waits for Garnak to catch up. Whispers, are we gonna need weapons here, do you think? No, we don't.
1: Even if you think we need weapons, even I think we need weapons, we don't. That thing is. That thing is the victim here, period. We help it.
0: Vesper, you are in a universe of agony, blistering from this heat by the time you find the deep cryo-storage chamber far beneath the university. Behind it, the cold. You can feel it there. It's almost there. Reaching out with your tentacles, you tear the door off and feel the cool breeze wash out through the room which instantly rhymes with frost.
4: Slowly, the tentacles and the shells start to drop and recede and the normal form of Vesper starts to slowly show the curves the tail the one set of antlers instead of six and she just stands there basking almost not noticing the two people before all of a sudden just holding herself
3: there. Finn enters the room to see just the tail end of this transformation.
4: Oh, it's
0: cold, it's cold, it's fucking cold! It's so cold that the air feels like needles in every one of your pores, Finn.
3: Staggers back out.
0: Your lips crack and bleed as you open your mouth to talk to Garnak, and in moving your face, your skin stretches uncomfortably
3: way to shut that down from out here we're not gonna be able to get her out but she looked healthier the cold helps hmm all right
1: well that that's something that could help us at least buy some time here uh, put this thing on and I, I grab a funky looking device and it hooks onto the back of your collar and uh, start playing with my gauntlet and start calibrating it in. it's like th- this might help a little bit with it with uh, the temperature you just have a little metallic thing it's got a couple of tubes on the back that's just ha- hanging to the back of your collar
3: I was hoping for something with a little bit more insulation
1: yeah you know, take what you can get from me on hand I'll make you a raincoat later and Adam that was that's a little device uh, that should give him a advantage on his uh, on his saves.
0: Finn, as you step through with this little thing hanging off the back of your collar, you have no idea how it works. Garnack put it together, like, twist, click, snap, clip. You step into the room, and it doesn't feel like you're, well, you can breathe, and it doesn't feel like it's burning the skin off you. You can feel the cold pressing in from a distance of about a centimeter. If you can picture that, the cold is about a centimeter off your skin. You can feel it close to you, although not really touching you.
3: That is so
1: strange. I walk into the room and, uh, what what exactly am I seeing right
0: now, Adam? As you follow Finn into the deep freeze, those parts of you which are not covered by his body and the breaking effect of the thalmic inverter, are quickly coated in a thick rime of frost good thing you bundled up but Garnak you can feel this in your steel foot and remember you turn the sensitivity on that way down
4: that's
1: comforting all right Ah, uh, girl girl devil
4: yes
1: does Vesper speak common
4: right now?
0: Not as such, no. But when you say devil, that gets her attention. Vesper, this short person covered in frost with a beard and iron foot, says, person. He says a couple other things, but among them, he calls you a person.
4: And she, her head just tilts. She's facing away from you into the cold, but her head... Tilt to the right slightly so she's listening.
0: I need both of you to make a wisdom save, gentlemen.
1: That would be an eight.
3: Eighteen.
0: Okay, Finn. She's well, she's weird looking, no doubt about that. Surely dangerous. And it's cold, but when she looks at you, her eyes glint that Thaumachrome, cold, flashy, blue. None of her posture is aggressive, although she is a little bit to take in. She doesn't seem to be threatening. Garnack? Yes? As a young apprentice born to a house of warders, you naturally have to understand what the threats are that you're warding against. Now, as the door hangs open and all of the cold pours out of the room, well, Finn seems to be appreciating the ins and outs of this creature and its various weirdnesses, you are struck by the thought that you are facing a young Gelugon.
1: I take a moment and cast Sanctuary on myself.
4: Vesper just reels back when he says that and actually takes a step back into the um, cold containment.
0: Now the cold fortifies you a lot. You reach out and slam the door closed and take a deep breath of the cold air and finally feel fiendish again. Thank hell.
4: There's just, I don't know if they can hear it, but there is a, there is a laugh of just and utter joy coming from Vesper right now of finally, finally she feels like herself again.
0: Fellas, rolling on the successes from earlier, there's this creepy laugh that comes from behind the door and Karnak, it sounds like something coming to eat your soul.
1: But the door's shut now. Yes. I slow down my breathing and kind of look over at Finn's like, well,
3: she's safe. Finn sort of claps his hands and rubs them together. So it seems to me that it's the cold she was after. Maybe that's what her enclosure needs more of. Uh, I start pulling out some of my sensors
1: and uh, the Paranatural Enigma calculator and see if I can get that thing set up to take some readings on what's going on here in this room, what's generating the fields and just try and get as much, not much details as I can about this thing. At the very least,
3: I'm going to have to try and replicate part of it. If she seems stable now, I think maybe I'll go fetch Auntie Mags. Yeah, you go ahead and do that. Finn's going to head back to, uh, Auntie Magrin's laboratory to let her know of the situation and try and get her to come back with him so looking at the setup
1: could I set up uh, like a transcendental parallaxin or something along those lines to transfer some of the cold that's flowing into here and transport it over to Vesper's enclosure I'm going to head up and take a look at the glass real quick and do what you're not supposed to do and tap on the glass
0: Vesper there's a knock at the door
4: Vesper will walk up to it and just kind of do the very, you know, tilt the head from side to side, curious, wondering, "What are you doing?"
1: I just look at her and whether she knows calm or not, just ask, "Do you want to go home?" I uh, go up and write the letters on the part of the glass that's starting to fog up a little bit. Just write out the letters H O M E or probably or the the equivalent in the uh, version of Runlandic that we're speaking
0: here. It's like, home. You understood that.
4: Vesper just gets this hopeful look in her eyes and just attempts to form a home. And Vesper just nods her head. Yep.
0: I'll get you home. Well, the runes that you use are actually based on a draconic alphabet. When you use those, well, you misspell it tragically, but you get the point across. Roll arcana, please, Karnak. Natural 20. If she understood that when you wrote it in your draconic derivative, that makes a lot of sense because draconic is the lingua franca, for communicating between societies because it conveys sentiments over a particular sound. Try something else.
1: I, uh, I'll, start, I'll start off like, so be calm.
0: Be not afraid. Calm yourself. You should relax. Whichever one of those three meanings he's aiming at, Vesper, is trying to calm you. We will help. Assistance is available. Vesper
4: just... laughs, and... Is this written or spoken?
0: He's writing it in draconic runes on the frost on the window.
1: And speaking some strange monkey tongue.
4: Vesper will attempt to write back very stiltedly, You lie.
0: All will be condemned.
4: Cage. Prison. Prison.
0: Unjust punishment. This is cruel. World is unsafe.
1: You will die here. The room is for safety.
0: In this room, you will live. We are trying to help. Assistance is available.
4: Death better than fear.
0: Surely, I must kill everything. I am not afraid. I squeak a little at that.
4: Vesper hears the squeak and just gives a very big pointed smile.
0: With that, the big grin of pointed teeth. This guy, he's trying to help, it seems, but he's afraid, Vesper. You're not a bad person. So despite yourself, the smile that you give him is warm enough that Garnak, after the squeak, you realize that the set of her posture isn't offensive. Quite the opposite, in fact. She seems afraid. Maybe a little aggressive from that, but it's not malicious. Neither one of you has an antagonistic posture coming to that. Here, try to communicate. This sinks in. Magrin, you came as fast as you could, and as you bust into the room, it is a busily cold on the soles of your bare feet.
2: Magrin has a uh, carpet bag, like a doctor's bag, but it's a a bunch of different kind of patched materials together. Um, But it's quite large and it's making clanging noises as she runs on her little stubby legs. (sighs) I came as fast as I could.
0: And of course, behind her is Finn.
4: When Magrin busts into the room, Vesper immediately pushes herself back from the door and goes to the back of the containment room in a defensive pose.
1: I write on the glass, Healer. Helper.
4: She does the curious head tilt thing again. She doesn't quite understand Healer.
0: You know, Magrin, now that you think about it, this makes perfect sense. This is the deep cryos storage. It's where they keep the cold stuff. The thing is that nothing biological should be able to even move in there, and she's walking around like it was a lovely summer day.
2: Of course she needed it colder. We, we need to deal with the uh, situation at hand that I was too stupid to notice. Finn, my boy, um...
3: I'm all right, but may want to take cover
0: when Garnack gets the door open. Backing up. And it gets hellishly cold in here, slash. Vesper, the heavenly heat that rolls in from when they open this door for the second it takes Finn to rush in and rush you both out. When they close the door again, Finn has turned blue around the lips and his skin is visibly paler. There's a thick rime of frost in his hair.
3: This doohickey that you put on my collar is really humming now. I, I think you
1: actually just broke it. It's uh, cracked and looks like it's getting ready to shatter.
4: Vesper is looks very curious and is actually a lot calmer than Magrin has ever seen her before. And she slowly walks up to the door and writes on it, What's wrong with him?
0: What is his problem?
1: Too cold. Too much cold. Deadly for us.
0: This beautiful balmy weather does not agree. It's
3: perfect. I thought hell was supposed to be hot.
1: Ah, they, they kind of run the gamut.
4: Vesper does not understand what the two of you are saying, and she's just kind of looking back and forth like it's wonderful what are you two talking about
0: she says this and then promptly dissolves into a puddle
1: all right yeah we got we got to get that fixed
0: hey magrin as the camera takes in your operating theater, the table, upon which you normally operate on horses, is occupied by a large whitish blob. It occasionally grows fags or claws or teeth or antlers or horns or hooves or other natural weaponry, tentacles, suckers, that sort of thing, it will all erupt from its mass. It is roughly about a hundred and forty pounds of Protoplasmic matter? And it shifts from form to form to form to form. All of them writhing in agony and trying to shed the heat. Apart from the quills that it occasionally grows, it is bristling with two dozen of your mithril needles, and you are going to have to move to the golden ones now. The shocker points are all over this, body. It was easy enough to put into a container to bring upstairs, but now no matter where you try to put a needle to stabilize the shifting chakras on this thing, you can't catch it.
1: I grabbed a couple of students on the way up and had them start running in from the freezer and just bringing in as many ice blocks as they can. I'm just kind of like stacking them around the blob, trying to create as much cold as possible in here at the moment.
2: Garnack, we're going to have to figure out how to stabilize her before I can get to fixing or healing her or stopping her from melting. Do we. We're going to have to go to some kind of ice exhibit.
1: So, what's stopping you from healing her?
2: Her form, its it's too fluid. There's no structures to work with. There's no balance in the body every time i heal one part it fades away and it becomes something different that needs a different form of healing we're gonna have to stabilize her form before anything else
0: all right karnak this is correct this is just a box of ice cubes on the table full of gloop now it would make sense to start by fixing a point but which point right if you pick the right one The rest will fall in around it. But where is that point? Who's in the room right now? You, Finn, Magrin, and Vesper. Okay.
1: Magrin, what you did to my lake, her energy, her flows, everything about her is not stable in this universe right now. It needs to be. We need to change something. We need to get something hammered down. We need to get it staked to this universe, uh, thaumaturgically speaking. We have to shift our energy and get one point where it makes sense in this world that everything else can build around.
2: Ah uh, yes, we need we need to create some kind of stable fixed point in the magical energy that we can we can network around, but it would have to lock it down to this this plane, and I know you wanted to keep her as open as possible for potentially sending her back.
1: She won't live to go anywhere unless we could actually get her stable. She's not; she's going to die. I'm going to get her home, but she's going to die right now if we don't do something.
2: Then we're going to have to lock her in, to this dimension.
0: With Chakra to nail down, there's the challenge. Two dozen mithril needles in her, and they haven't done the job. Vesper, this is absolute fucking heaven. When will this stop? The ice is cold, the but not, a, not cold enough, it's... The heat presses in on you. Somebody's got to find the one spot. Somebody with a knack for finding things should roll perception with advantage.
3: Natural 20.
0: Of course. Alright, Finn. So, as Garnak and Magrin discuss what's happening, you see this blob boxed in by great big blocks of ice on Magrin's operating table. It throbs and heaves and now and then a tentacle or a horn or some fur or a bunch of feathers will shoot out of it, only to be absorbed again. This blob incongruously bristles with needles and hasn't Popped, although the fluid within writhes and seethes and occasionally will fire a needle out or pull away from it. Magrin and Garnack are making educated guesses and pointing fingers, and Magrin is plunging these needles in there. The blob shudders with each piercing. Clearly she's in agony. There has to be a way to stop this. And you can hear them talking about it and You're no medic, but you are good at finding things. This proves it because while you just let their words filter into your ears and let your eyes focus themselves, it becomes apparent to you. Amidst all of the needles in this blob, there is one point of light that they've both missed. It's easy to see if you know where to look. and Your feet find their way across the room. As you mutter under your breath.
3: Sometimes when Finn was younger tracking prey in the forest it would almost seem like when he had to face a crossroads or a choice between going one way or the other it it would almost seem like there was this strange path of light leading him forward to where it needed to go. It wasn't light. It just seemed that way to his eyes. That's the only way he could describe it. And the times when he found himself led into danger were not because he chose the wrong path, but because he chose one that looked more beautiful. And right now, he can see something tiny like a filament leading to one of the needles that's in Vesper. Max, I think maybe this area here is where you ought to focus. You know, I don't know why, but I think that's the one you got to focus on.
2: The heart point. Interesting. Okay, um, you have a knack for this. I'll, I'll trust you on this one.
1: I do whatever I can trying to get energies as stabilized as possible, trying to make sure that basically try and keep her into one form as best I can. See if I can stop her from shifting from thing to thing.
0: And with a word, all of the needles leap out of her skin, but the one that Magrin plunges in. And Vesper coalesces from an agonizing blob to the collection of curves and points that we know and love. And she's exhausted. Vesper, you lost your grip on consciousness and form. Everything has faded. But the world is coming back into focus now. And while it's still hot, it's not unbearably so. While there has been agony in your past, it is quickly becoming a memory and gratefully, you exhale a long, juddering breath.
4: Vesper turns to the side with the needle still kind of sticking out of her chest and is just kind of like just coughing up something, something golden out of her mouth over the side of this giant table and muttering words to herself, in an unknown language that are most likely swears, you're not entirely sure, but is also just shaking with
3: exhaustion. she she gonna be alright?
2: I-, I think she has a chance now. It's still gonna take a lot of work. But she seems more stable.
1: I'll get her enclosure set up.
4: Best for attempts to get off of the table.
0: Garnack, it was elementary the whole time, you hadn't thought, but then again, all the greatest discoveries are, aren't they? They're always so obvious that nobody sees them. All it takes is a bit of distance, and so, once you set back from this and realize that you can make cold feel however you want, I mean, you can have cold at 70 degrees or cold at minus 300 degrees. The point is that it's cold. So you set the cold in Vesper's enclosure to 65 degrees for comfort. As it should be. I want to
1: see if I can get a hold of uh, Magrin sometime. Uh, What's going on right now with Vesper? Vesper
4: is currently um, attempting to gain her feet from the table that she's currently trying to get off of, and pulling the mithril pin out of her chest.
2: Magrin trying to keep her on the table and pacify her without seeming aggressive. Basically being like, whoa, steady girl, don't do that.
4: Yeah, Vesper's not really paying attention to Magrin. She's more... She's literally yanking the Mithril pin out of her chest and throwing it across the room and getting on her feet. If Finn is still in the room, she's watching him very warily. Um, if she can see him.
3: Yeah, Finn, who uh, was there for Vesper's trans transformation into a s- strange tentacular beast, whereas Magrin wasn't, is standing back, uh, but he puts his palms up in a peaceful gesture.
4: She's very, she's a little bit disoriented and kind of is trying to get on her feet and move backwards away from people.
1: I head back towards Magrin's office and walk in see Vesper moving around. It's like, oh, yeah. This part, forgot about that.
3: Maybe uh, I'll go fetch Professor Volant to help get her back in her cage, huh? It's not a cage. She doesn't live in
1: a cage.
0: A few days later, Garnack, the charm is finished. Just a simple thomic reverser. Trade school stuff. Anyway, this is a personal one, and she can pin it to any outfit she wears, and it'll convert the heat into cold at the same temperature.
1: I walk into a room and I head over to the chalkboard that I put there and put uh, right on the chalkboard. It's like, this will make the air comfortable.
4: Vesper is currently just laying sprawled out on the ground, doing eyes closed, looking half dead.
0: First there's the phrase, this will not torture you so terribly, and beneath it, a bunch of other scripts. And so it goes for the next while, until Vesper doesn't break the windows when she opens her mouth to speak. RuneLanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockovas, Greg Setnik, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, You can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes and so much more at Runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode.
3: Next time on Runelanders, we're going to have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then.
0: I'm DM Matt Adam.
3: I'm a Damn Good Guy, reminding you to roll high and don't die.
0: Until next,
3: take good care.